Every time we have this passage or its parallels in the other Gospels, I uh, can't help but think of a particular incident. As a child, uh, I was probably 14, 15, uh, maybe 16 even, my mom started working after my baby sister's birth at the nursing home, and she worked 5.30 to 2, and she worked uh, every other weekend. And one particular weekend in the summer, she uh, had explicit instructions, and we, we tried to do this, but it wasn't always uh, the case, but uh, that we would have the house clean when she came home because we wanted, she wanted to go somewhere, and, and we were, of course, to go with her, and she didn't want the house a mess. And uh, we had the bad habit of leaving a dish or two in the sink. And so this particular day, I, I made dinner for my, my sisters and I. My brother decided he wasn't uh, going to have dinner with us for whatever reason. We did our dishes up, and then I said, okay, the house is clean. Uh, the living room and the kitchen are both clean. Let's just go outside and play so we don't make a mess of the house. Mom didn't care about her bedrooms. Well, I'm not going to talk about that right now. Well, apparently my brother took it as a personal challenge to see how messy he could make the house in 45 minutes. Well, he found dishes we didn't even know we had, uh, pots and pans, and I, I swear he, all he had was a ham and cheese sandwich. How he messed up the oven and so many dis dishes and pots and pans, only God knows. Well, luckily I had the forethought knowing mom was going to be home about 2.15, to come into the house about a quarter to two just to make sure. Well, I worked like a madman to get the kitchen clean. I think I may have cursed my brother a few times under my breath because he was nowhere to be found by this point. And I literally put the towel away. The last dish was put away and I heard mom's car pull into the driveway. And she walked in and I thought, oh, she's going to see the house nice and clean. It took her one second. What is that ketchup doing on the ceiling? To this day, I do not know how ketchup got up there. I do know how it got down. Uh, and we, I wasn't punished severely because I said, oh, it was all clean and something. And she knew. But I, I find that uh, as telling and uh, almost, almost as... Uh, a parallel uh, parable, perhaps. Because as Jesus tells this parable, or using, using uh, analogies anyway, we are called to be like those servants who are vigilant. That doesn't mean we're always at work and, and busy, but vigilant. Vigilant is something else. Vigilant is staying aware, staying, uh, just keeping a heightened awareness of things. It doesn't mean, again, that we're just constantly doing dishes and going back and forth in senseless work. Because what can happen if, we're, if we cease to be aware, cease to keep vigilance, is we grow sloppy. If I hadn't tried to be aware that my brother is kind of, can sometimes be, a, I'll use a theological term, be a jerk, that he's, he's going to try to get us in trouble, if I hadn't been aware of that, I wouldn't have gone back into the house when I did, and I certainly wouldn't have get, gone back as early as I did. Luckily, half an hour is just enough. We need to be vigilant, because this world works against us so easily. 
This world works against us, and if we don't become vigilant, we become, as Jesus would say, we begin to take it out on the, the servants, the others with us. We, we, we begin to eat and drink, and the other gospels say, and become drunk and crowsing. That if we're not vigilant, we will be caught unaware. But the other thing that happens, especially with the Lord, is that we, we begin to deceive ourselves. Oh, he's not going to be coming back. He's delayed in coming, so he's not coming at all. And we have to remember that the Lord promises that he's going to come. And the Lord sticks to his promises. And in fact, in today's second reading, we have the author of the book of Hebrews listing out and showing us Abraham, how he was a man of deep faith that he knew the promises of God, even to the point of when he was asked to offer his son Isaac, the son he had longed for, the only son of his and, and Sarah's union, the son through whom God had promised that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the heaven or the sands on the seashore, that very same son he was supposed to sacrifice, not just offer in some symbolic manner, but sacrifice to put to death. And if you turn to the book of, of Genesis and you read that episode, I encourage you to do so. I can't help every time I, I envision it, the terror that would have settled in Isaac's heart. Father, I see the fire. I know you set up the altar when we get there. I have the wood. Where's the sacrifice? God will provide. Um, Dad, what does that mean? And that terror that enters his heart as he realizes that he's it. Because you never traveled without the sacrifice. That was part of it. That you would take care of that sacrifice, making sure it would remain pristine until the sacrifice. And Abraham in his heart, reasoning that God somehow will make this all right. That if I offer my son, if I put my son to death, somehow he's going to raise him to life. That this son will keep the promise, that God through him will keep the promise. If Abraham could have such faith, before he even had an understanding of the resurrection from the dead, how much more should we? How much more faith should we have? Because we see the resurrection of Christ, well, not with our eyes, but certainly we, we see it in history and we see it in our faith. And if Christ is going to come again, who are we to begin to doubt? He is going to come again. And we see it so often, and perhaps uh, like the game that my sisters and I would play, of, well, we'll leave the house clean, we'll get it clean, and, and we'll, we'll hopefully everything will be okay. There's always something that kind of gives that non-vigilance away. Or sometimes, and we see this in, in certain, certain people, that they begin to take bribes or, or take corners, cut corners, thinking no one will ever know. But uh, in the parable that I would like to tell of my life, there's always that splotch on the ceiling that gives it away. Again, we don't have to be terrified of every moment and be working at every moment, but be vigilant. This is what faith calls us toward. 
Because we know there is a day when Jesus is going to come. And as we hear, he's going to require much from us because we know. We know his love. We know his mercy. We know his faith, or the, the faith. We know the faith to which he calls us. He's going to hold us accountable. And if we're vigilant, if we stay awake, stay ready, he will find us and reward us. There's something beautiful about this, that that when the master comes, he will sit them down and they will recline at table. There's no culture in which this happens, by the way. The master never serves the servants. But Jesus Christ does. It's a reminder that that eternal banquet waits. It's much better than whatever it is, whatever plan my, my mom had for us that afternoon. Much, much better. And so she, we should be even more prepared. And so we might ask ourselves, well, how can we be prepared? How can we stay vigilant? As I already said, it isn't always that we're at work, and, and uh, I use that word purposely, because the word liturgy means the work of the people on behalf of the people. It goes both ways. So it's what we do here together, but what Christ does for us. And we can't always be at Mass. Perhaps you know this. I do joke about the 11th commandment, that Mass ought not, shall not last more than an hour. We know this. We can't always be in chapel. And that isn't what vigilance always means. But vigilance means we're always praying, always aware. And so praying the rosary or reading the scriptures, when even then, not all the time, because we have other work to do as well. But it's finding the Lord in our work. As we mentioned a few weeks ago, prayer and work, or at the labora. To find the Lord in our work and to say that somehow this work cooperates with the building of the kingdom of God. To do that work in a way that glorifies God, that honors him, that helps others. And let's admit This world can work against us. I'm not saying my brother was demonic or anything like that, but we know that the demons are certainly real. And they do work against us, and they would like nothing more than to make us go asleep, to to cause us to become less vigilant. And they would cause all sorts of havoc in the world, much more than anyone else. And so we work against them and pray against them, and of course we have a great advocate Not only the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph, the terror of demons, but St. Michael the Archangel, who prays for us, intercedes for us, defends us, battles for us. But we have to stay vigilant in the meantime, to always ask their intercession, to ask them to help us. Oh, the Lord is coming again. He's promised it. And we hold on to that promise. And we stay vigilant. We stay vigilant. Because we know that there's so much that works against us. And the time seems like it is so far away. And yet each second and each day it draws a little closer to hold on to that promise. As already said, if Abraham could reason that God could make the miraculous happen and raise up his son from the dead, 
We know that the day will come when Jesus will return and that we ask him to help us to be vigilant and to always be prepared.